Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is speaker, author, mentor, Owen Marcus. Owen focuses on helping men develop the tools to live a smarter life. I've been watching some of the videos of his men's groups and they're absolutely amazing. The idea behind his groups is to bring men together to help each other to work past whatever it is that's holding them back so they can live happy, more fulfilled, and more successful lives. Owen also has a fascinating story. He was born with a couple different learning disabilities, including Asperger's syndrome, so some of the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast weren't natural for him. This gives him incredible insights into learning how to succeed at them. He's also the author of the wonderful book, Grow Up, A Man's Guide to Masculine Emotional Intelligence. Oh, and you mentioned on your site that you worked on healing your Asperger's syndrome for, for about 20 years you worked on this. Can you describe what this process was like? First, I didn't know I had Asperger's. It wasn't until I was in graduate school that I first realized I had as- uh, dyslexia. And then later I realized I had Asperger's syndrome. Uh, but... <laughs> That said, I struggled through uh, certainly elementary school with everything from uh, all the academic subjects to being socially awkward to the point of uh, when I was younger getting picked on. And also uh, athletically, I was very uh, uncoordinated or later I realized I had dyspaxia, which you can essentially say is uh, dyslexia of the body. Uh, So it was a struggle, and my parents were good parents, and they tried everything they could to help me. Fortunately, back then, there wasn't Ritalin, or else they probably would have put me on that. Um, But it wasn't until I got into uh, holistic health that I started to realize that, um, really knowing what I had, but what was the significance of it, but particularly, uh, I started discovering ways to uh, unwind it. Oh, and you have such a great story. I don't know if Mike told you, but my youngest brother is actually autistic. Oh, no. And, yeah, so my youngest brother, uh, he's on the spectrum. Um, so so for people who are listening to this, and a lot of our clients who um, kind of come through our coaching, that's one of the reasons Mike really liked, really liked your book and thought it was super pertinent to some of the listeners. Um, we do get a lot of guys who are on the spectrum. And, and so if, if a guy's listening and he's on the spectrum, or maybe he's not on the spectrum, but... Um, he is struggling socially. Uh, so there's some kind of elements of um, Asperger's in his personality, because I think we all have some of these mm-hmm. elements. Uh, what are some steps that they can take uh, in, if, in order to kind of overcome it or to improve this part of their life? Well, I actually think you're right. I think we all, or any man, is it's somewhat on that spectrum, particularly around women, at least initially. We're, we're, and uh, yeah, as you know, a lot of geeks are highly on that uh, spectrum, and I also work end up working with a lot of guys that are very, very sensitive and talented and bright, but feel awkward uh, socially and particularly around women. I mean, I I realized I was a geek before there ever was a term geek, um, and I ended up getting really sort of geeky around healing my Asperger's. So I became an expert on how to not force an adaptation or compensation for something like this, but actually, you know, how to really accept it and heal it and and work with it and have the attributes of Asperger's or this geekiness or awkwardness really be an asset for a man rather than a hindrance. And so I think the first thing to do is is accept your geekiness or your your Asperger's and, and to whatever extent you have it. Uh, and again, I think we all have it, particularly we often feel that way around women when we start to date and start to um, communicate with them. And the tendency is, is to sort of man up and, and push ourselves through those experiences and learn these um, you know, arbitrary or um, sort of false techniques of what someone might tell you what it, what it is to be a man. Now, that might be a good way to get moving and sort of uh, get you started, but what I've found ultimately works best for the man and really for any man that he wants a serious relationship with or a woman he wants a serious relationship with is to learn to accept what he's feeling in the moment. Now that's can can be a hard thing for a man to do. And, and often the first thing that we feel is this sense of vulnerability. 
And our tendency as, as boys and as men is to deny the vulnerability and get hard and rigid and try to push our way through that. And if there's anyone that can feel that, that's a woman. Now, some, some women will ignore it or uh, maybe like that kind of personality. But if they do, they're just liking that behavior strategy or the, or your, the way that you're performing. And if you ended up in a relationship with them, it's going to be a struggle. And women that most men want a relationship with want a man that is going to be vulnerable. But, and here's the big but, he has to learn to be vulnerable and assertive at the same time, which is one of my uh, MQ skills, which is, in other words, you know, being vulnerable, being afraid, and as you're afraid, you still take action. Oh, and I feel like your assessment here is so accurate. It reminds me of something that just happened this last weekend. I was coaching this guy and I had taken him out to meet women in live situations, like in real situations. And he just started my coaching. He's in a program and I'll be coaching him for the next 10 weeks. In our first night out, he had met a girl, started talking to her, got to the point where he was holding her hand, uh, he said for about two minutes, and he just kept talking. <laughs> and and I said, you know, the next thing we got to work on is, I mean, it's great. You're starting off, you're approaching people, which a lot of guys struggle with at first, especially women they find attractive. They're scared to touch. You're doing these things, but you have to assert yourself. She wanted, because he goes, yeah, oh, she, it ended up falling apart. And I said, well, she wanted you to kiss her. You were doing everything right. And she was waiting for you to kind of, to take that next step and, and begin to assert yourself. But I think you're a hundred percent right. I think no person is one dimensional and it's so important that uh, as a man, that we have this full range, access to this full range of, of kind of what it means to be human. We have the ability to make ourselves vulnerable and to assert, our, our, assert ourselves. Can you, can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that, or some of the things that you did in order to cultivate these skill sets? Because they really are skill sets. Yeah, they are skill sets. And generally, as you know, uh, which is part of why you have a business, is that, you know, as men and as boys, we're not taught these skill sets. So, uh, when I got into all this, well, 35 plus years ago, um, yeah, there was no one teaching this stuff. So I just put together this whole program for myself and not even knowing what I was doing. I was just first trying to fix myself. So the biggest thing I did, um, which really gave me the biggest change in some ways in the shortest period of time was I relaxed my body. And let me just explain to you what, what that means is that as men, we tend to be a lot tighter than we realize. And a lot of that tension is stored in our physical body or the, you can say the soft tissue of our body. And science shows us that when that soft tissue or particularly that connected tissue or fascia, which is what holds everything together and is the organ of stress, gets tight, it's self-perpetuating. So you can be in a in a non-stressful situation, and like the one you described, where you your mind might think it should be fun, it should be relaxing, but you're having a sympathetic or survival or stress response, and you're you know you're you're hunkered down, you know, and you're in your head, you're not relaxed, you're not you know engaging with that person you're with. So uh, that was me in virtually every situation. And so what I did was I ended up getting Rolf, which is a, a particular kind of body therapy that is oriented around getting rid of chronic tension and realigning the body uh, to be in better alignment with gravity. And the short story on that, I was living in Boulder. I had a roommate that given up his law practice of eight years to move to Boulder to study to be a Rolfer, and he argued his case so well, he got me to try it, and immediately I saw the benefit of it to such an extent um, I spent four years in Boulder studying rolfing and everything I could that was related to that. And it completely transformed my body. And as my body transformed, I ended up growing, or uh, I wasn't really growing, but stretching out an inch. I got, an, again, an inch in height, lost over 20 pounds of tension. I was never fat. I mean, that's how tense my body was. And I could do things with my body that I never could have done before. And what that meant was being with women was fun. I mean, I could start to be in the moment and start to flow with it. Otherwise, I was like the fellow you just described. Uh, I was always in my head trying to calculate what I should do next. And even if it was the right thing, I was several steps behind whatever was happening in the moment. So the first thing I'd recommend to some guy, particularly if he has 
something like Asperger's or is very tense, is to find some really good body work. Uh, it's sort of like going in the back door, you relax your body, you're gonna relax your mind. Uh, and then the next thing I recommend for men is finding a way to develop uh, acceptance or something called mindfulness. Uh, I used to have a, a large mindfulness stress reduction company when I, we had our, our medical clinic in Scottsdale. And it was a great company. We used to help a lot of people. We didn't make a lot of money on it, but we taught these people that were super type A people how to be relaxed, how to breathe, and how to you know, engage in their life in a way where not only were they enjoying themselves more, but they were more effective. Uh, and, and those skills are readily available. They're really simple. It does take some practice. And the third thing that I really recommend that uh, I've been doing and really championing for the last 15 years is men's groups. Um, we have a nonprofit that help men form these groups. And these groups become like a micro community or your own tribe where you get to practice all these skills. Because as guys, uh, we need practice. We are often behind the emotional curve or the intimate communication curve compared to women. And it's really hard to practice this sort of in the field with women. I mean, you're going to need to practice it and you're going to fail. But when you've got a group of guys that are more or less at the same place that you are and you've got a group that you can practice your emotional connection and communication with as a man, and that's I emphasize that, every week, you'll see huge changes within six months. Uh, these are wonderful, wonderful suggestions. I'm going to kind of go through each one. You talked a, uh, um, a little bit about body language and body work. I, I've actually taken body movement classes. I found them incredibly helpful. I don't think a lot of the listeners are aware of what people do in a body movement class. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, well, a lot of different kinds of body movement classes, but I would imagine most of them are getting you aware of your body. <laughs> and again, if there was any guy that was unaware of his body and his body's movement, it was me. So uh, generally what will happen is men start to connect to their bodies. In other words, you start to feel where you're tense, you feel your body's response, and then you get into this sort of mindfulness experience of, oh, when X happens out there, Y happens to me. You know, I hold my breath, uh, I suck in my stomach, I clamp down my jaw, I might even tighten my fist, uh, and you go, oh, oh, I do that. Well, I guess I can do something else. And then what starts to happen in these you know, awareness classes, be it body movement or mindfulness, is you start making different choices in the moment, and that's where the power is. So you start to realize for no, ha no reason other than habit, you maybe you're driving down the road or walking down the street, thinking that you're not stressed out, and you realize that your shoulders are up. And you go, oh my God, they're up. I guess they've always been up, and you drop them. But what happens in that moment you drop your shoulders or relax your stomach or take a breath or connect to your body or feel something physical, you open yourself up to feel emotional, which means you start to feel vulnerable, which can be a little scary. So out of habit, you might raise your shoulders up and then you take a deep breath and go, it's okay, it's safe, <laughs> no one's going to hurt me. And you keep training your body, and which is really your body-mind, to relax so that when you go out with that woman and you're holding her hand and things are going well, you're able to first read your cue because you cannot read a woman's cue if you're not reading your own cues. So you're going to have a hell of a time reading her cues if you're completely unaware of your own cues. And so you start to realize, oh, I'm getting nervous. Oh, I'm getting turned on. Oh, I'm going into my survival strategy. Oh, I'm talking too much. My shoulders are up, whatever. Oh, oh I'm going to relax. I'm going to breathe. Oh, I feel scared. That's okay. I'm going to feel scared. And then you start to engage with your body, with your own experience. And then you're able to engage with this woman. And that's when the spontaneity happens. And that's when it really starts to get to be fun. There's just so, there's so, so many things that makes me think of. There's so many just really good ideas. Um, I, I, I was thinking about kind of um, in, our, in our classes, we talk about empathy, right? Or I end up talking about empathy. And, and the way that I teach empathy is exactly the way you describe. First, you become aware of yourself. And then you become be then once you're aware and comfortable with yourself exactly as you described you become mindful or aware of yourself and other people, 
And so you notice that tension, not first you become aware of the tension in your shoulders and then you notice the tension in her shoulders and you realize that she's tense and then you can start to do something about it um, or attempt to do something about it. But there's just so many wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, ideas that you're, you're talking about. Well, that. And, and I, you know, to interrupt, I want to really emphasize what you said, because I think the secret ingredient there is once, you know, if I'm the guy, once I accept what's happening for me and I become aware of it, that completely changes the state. And it's an, and then what happens is another one of my MQ skills comes in. You start holding the space. In other words, if I'm with a woman and I'm anxious and I'm tense and, you know, that's the vibe that I'm feeling and experiencing. I'm putting that out and she's not going to feel safe. She might not be conscious of it and, and, and it might not be a big deal for her, but it's not an inviting space. If I start to allow myself to feel what I'm feeling, the subtle message I'm sending to her is it's okay for you to feel what you're feeling. And this is, this is, and you know this, this is the challenge for guys is one, to do that, to sort of hold this space of acceptance. Two is to step in that space and initiate in the face of fear. And when we do that, we're not only being the guy, you know, asking her out on a date or making the first move. What we're really doing, what I would say the under, what's underneath all that is that we're proving to her that this space is safe because as a man, one of our roles is to is to protect that woman. And we show that protection by subtly stepping into these spaces that we're co-creating with these women and showing her that it's emotionally and in other ways safe because we're taking the first move and we're doing it in, in a mindfulness way, in a vulnerable way. And most women, and, and I find the women that we really want to engage with, will more or less unconsciously just melt into that kind of environment. I think you're 100% on. There's one other story I want to share that's slightly off topic, but I think um, is kind of pertinent. Like, I'm not really a very new age guy. I'm like very practical, like a lot of the men who are listening. And uh, But I did take this body movement class, and that's why when you started talking about it, it really resonated with me. I took this body movement class, and I had a partner in one of the sessions that was a woman. And she... I was, I was, uh, we're trying to work on balancing ourselves over, like extending our feet fully and walking through our feet because a lot of people don't, don't do this. And, uh, during the exercise, I noticed that she kind of rolled on the outside of her feet and, uh, it's the way that she walked, it's the way she stood. And so I told the instructor, cause the instructor is like, don't force anything. If you notice something, bring me aware, uh, make me aware of it and I'll make a correction. So she brought, she came over and the, the, the instructor started working with this girl to balance herself over her feet and get into her feet fully. And what happened was as soon as she did that, she started crying. The mm -hmm. girl started crying. And, and, uh, the reason why she started crying is because it brought back memories. Apparently she had been in a car accident years before and so she had hurt, uh, dam she damaged her leg and started walking like that because she didn't feel comfortable walking fully through her foot because she was hurt. Years later, her foot had healed, but her, her right side of her body had started mirroring the left side and she started to walk like that. Well, as soon as she uh, had her, her walking fully over her feet and balanced fully in her feet, it brought back all the emotions from the car accident. And it seemed to me, it seemed like such a strange thing, strange thing, but in every one of the classes we did, somebody was crying um, because we carry so much um, stress in our bodies. And sometimes working through these things can bring up past emotions. And um, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, I know exactly what uh, you're talking about. It's actually, actually, that's what a lot of what I teach um, and have been for decades uh, and have had um, you know, postgraduate training in, uh, with the leaders in that field of somatic psychology. Um, so, you know, this, this is my specialty. In fact, um, one of the things that I did when I revamped my design for my man's group nine years ago was I developed this whole process, which we call the healing journey, where it really integrates uh, the body into the process because I think this is particularly important for men because I don't want to go down another track yet, but essentially, as guys, uh, we process emotions differently than women. And one of the ways that we do that is through action and actually through our bodies. Even though our bodies are so tight and often from stress, which is to say emotions, 
we really do need to process our emotions and express them through our bodies. So when a guy can't do that in a spontaneous way, he and his whole life is thwarted. So we work with that in a lot of different ways. And, and we do these groups, you know, these free groups every week. And I would say at least once a week, there's a guy that will start crying uh, or have an emotional experience because we've asked him a question, something like, oh, John, when I noticed you said that, your shoulders were up. And that same kind of thing. It, in a safe environment, an open-ended question like that or a suggestion to someone connects them up with their past through their body, and because they feel safe, they'll re re release it, and they have this huge healing. And in doing that, it's like this part that was disconnected starts being reconnected to them. Uh, so I think this is critical for, for men, and we can do this on our own, on a, at least on a micro level, daily just doing what you were saying earlier about you know having this mindfulness throughout the day of how we're responding or not responding to what's happening around us i love this idea of kind of the men's group because for a lot of guys when they're around men that they feel like they have to um that they're either intimidated by or they feel like maybe it's their friends that they grew up they feel like they have to act a certain way around or there's women around them and so they start because it start uh, starts affecting their behavior because the truth is the people around us um it does affect our behavior and um it can sometimes it can help us uh push us past uh our own anxieties to kind of go further sometimes it can hold us back oftentimes it can hold us hold us back but i really like this idea of uh, having a safe environment with like-minded men it's kind of what i like similar to what i tried to create in like in in some of my private stuff but i think it's so such an important element how, how do people find out more about these men's groups because um it's something that i haven't really heard a lot about um our nonprofit is mencor so that's like like peace corps mencor so uh dot org and m-e-n-c-o-r-p-s dot o-r-g and then, um, you know, our business is freetowin.co, uh, and in our business, we our, our primary offering right now is we go around the country, and I was actually in New York a year ago, uh, pretty much at this time, uh, doing some workshops in the city uh, with men on helping them start these men's groups. Uh, and so we do this small training with 10, 12 guys, and we come in and we do a men's group for, 20, uh, for 48 hours, Saturday and Sunday, and we, we rent a place, uh, the guys come, and it's like an ongoing men's group. And it's hugely powerful, it's life-changing. We've had guys from 17 to 76 in there. We did one uh, this past winter at the University of Chicago for their top professors and deans. Uh, as men, we need that kind of brotherhood. When I was in New York, I, was, you know, I always I said, why are you here? And one of the biggest things was brotherhood. We want brotherhood. And I said, look, you guys are ahead of the curve because we all need it. Most guys either don't know that or aren't speaking to that. And, and so there's this, I don't know, belief that these men's groups are some new age thing or some therapeutic thing. Well, they have a therapeutic value, but it, when a group's done well, it's just guys being real with themselves and each other and just getting honest because you know as you said in most venues when we were other men either solely with men or men and women you know, we put on our masks and they get reinforced you know and, and that's okay you know we we need that i'm not saying that's bad but we also need our own tribe and we we have that in our genome we have a need for to go out on our hunting parties and just be with men and what I've seen over the nine years of doing this last iteration of the group, and what, four groups, a film on our groups, uh, over 150 men through these groups here in this small town, that not only has it changed men's lives, but it's changed their family and it's actually impacted the whole community. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts. 
watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. This is great, and I think you're absolutely right. There, this is not a new idea. Um, there's a few things that kind of come to mind. One, I, mean, I haven't really been involved in a long time, but um, in my early 20s, I became a, a master mason. And the masons, the Masonic Lodge is something that seems to have um, it started to die out. You, most of the, the, the membership is a lot older. Um, there's just so many other options now for entertainment. People go and they uh, they play video games, they watch TV. But those those groups like that, and there's lots of other groups outside the Masons, had a really important kind of function in, in society where, like before, there was all these kind of different ways that people entertain themselves. They would go down to the lodge and hang out with, with other men, older men, uh, mentors, talk to them, talk to problems. And it was a place where they could be safe, they could get guidance, they could guide each other to being kind of better, better men. Um, and that's kind of the first thing that, that popped in my mind. The second, I remember reading uh, one of Joseph Campbell's books, and he talks a lot about myth. And in one of the books, he was talking about how um, he was talking about how uh, I forget who it was, but it was uh, some some uh, some community where they would tell the boys once they reached a certain age that the snake could smell their foreskin, and uh, and then essentially they would pull the, the from my memory they would take the boys away and everybody would freak out the women would 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 get upset the kids would would get upset because they thought, thought a snake was really coming to smell their foreskin and uh, could potentially eat them. But eventually the, the men would take the boys away and um, they would put them through like a set of rituals and they would like kind of help them make that transition from being boys to men. And, uh, and then it became like an ongoing joke where they would tell the younger kids, oh, the snake smells your foreskin. But um, it just kind of made me think about these same type of ideas that these the idea of men's group is not a new i new um it's not a new a new concept but it's so important to have men in your life that you can kind of go to to ask questions to talk through situations um so i think that's really cool because i i'm so glad you brought this up because it's something i haven't thought about in a, a while but it's something i think that's that society seems to be losing. It, it has, and you know, what you're speaking about are these rites of passages, and 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 I've studied with you know these indigenous cultures, uh, the Native Americans and the Native Hawaiians, and they still have these rites of passages. So any transition in your life from birth to death, and in puberty is you know certainly one of them. Uh, there's rituals and ceremonies and initiations. Uh, where you have what you spoke of, a death of the other phase and an initiation into the new phase. And the, to use another phenomena that Campbell spoke about, uh, which was his hero's journey, which is this journey that a person takes uh, often when there is this initiation where there's a death of the old and, and uh, a resurrection into the new. And this is a part that a lot of people miss, uh, a reinitiation back into the community as a new person, you know, taking a new position. So, yeah, these boys would go through this rites of passage, but after the, the rites of passage, they no longer literally sit with their mothers or women, they sit with the men because they are a man, maybe a journey man, uh, a man in training, but they are basically a man. And they are given those rights and responsibilities of a man, and they are mentored by the elders uh, and they're, they're welcoming that mentoring and oh I don't know, a couple months ago I was in San Diego uh, presenting at the conference for men and you know, one of the interesting th things that came up was, was that most of the men there were younger men I'd say in the 20s and one of the, the big things that was missing in their lives was mentoring uh, because most of us did not have the father or, or elders around us that were the real mentors that we needed. So there's this huge gap, and there was a few of us there that were like the elders, 
And there was this great sense of honor and appreciation and wanting, um, yeah, maybe that wisdom, but that mentoring that a man who has really lived his life can give and enjoys giving to the younger men because it's an honor to give. Oh, and this is so great. And I don't think men talk about this nearly enough, but it's just so, such an important um, component of our own development. I mean, there's this, this one of the current myths that runs through our culture is that men, like the rugged individual, like we go out and we do it on our own and we don't need anybody's help. And, and it's just not true. Nobody's like that. Um, even as the strongest man is interdependent on the men around him. Can you, can you talk a little bit about masculine emotional energy and why it's important for guys to develop? Yeah, a masculine emotional intelligence uh, is something that I started realizing is unique. Uh, many years ago, uh, I met uh, Dan Goleman, the guy that wrote the first book on emotional intelligence, and he proved that that's a valid phenomena. And then when I started really working with men, particularly in these groups and doing a lot of this emotional work that was unique for men, uh, with men, primarily through these groups, I realized there were some unique distinctions in terms of how men process or receive emotions and how they you know, experience emotions and how they express emotions. That's different than women. So to start with, women and men are more alike than not. But there are certain ways that we're different. Like one of the ways I spoke about earlier was that we tend to want to process through action. And, you know, and that's a continuum. Some guys are going to be more that way than others. Women, and I'm going to generalize here, you know, tend to process through just being emotional, emoting. And you know, men do that too. And we need to be able to do that. But the problem is, we ever since we left the tribe 10,000 years ago, and we first left for the farm, and then from the farm to the factory 200 years ago, and from the factory to whatever we have today, at each subsequent shift, men were home less and less to mentor, to hold the space for the kids, to, to be a model for their boys. So women naturally and pretty much unconsciously stepped into that void and they started teaching and modeling and framing what it is to be emotional for the boys and consequently the men. And so over the years, I mean thousands and least hundreds and certainly in the last few decades, uh, we've really framed emotionality with a feminine skew to it. So if you look at who's applying or who's being trained as therapists, I forgot. I think it's over 90% of women now. Wow. Um, it's, so it's phenomenal in the sense of we just accept that. We are swimming in the water that is tainted with the feminine perspective of emotionality. And that's not a bad perspective. It's just not natural for us. It's, it's like we're swimming in fresh water when we should be swimming in salt water. Uh, there is a difference. Uh, and so... The only way, and I'll stand behind this one, the only way a man is going to learn that distinction, and I'm not concerned about learning it in their head. I'm concerned about learning it in you know, our bodies and our heart and uh, our, our balls. I mean, just to have that masculinity, the only way we're going to have that is with other men. Now, the thing I realized, and you probably see this in the classes and the groups you run, is that you can get 10 guys together, and so that's probably the average size of one of our groups, and none of us have it. I mean, you know, yeah, I have more of it now than I did, but I certainly don't have it all. But the magic of one of these groups, and it can happen pretty quickly, is that collective unconscious or consciousness of that group has that sort of ancient genome of what it is to be a man emotionally. And pretty quickly, the group starts melding, uh, not only as a group, but you know, sort of supporting, mentoring, and sculpturing for each man in his own unique way what it is to show up emotionally as a man, because he's had no models for that. Now, the interesting thing is that every woman has an experience with their man that does that. And there's one or two experiences. The less likely uh, is that she resisted. Uh, and eventually that would lead to the breakup of the relationship. But in every case, the relationship breaks up on, on good terms. But the vast majority of the time, these men's partners, 
go, oh my God, this is what I wanted all along. Now, women can be really good at pointing out that something's wrong. One, because that's an innate ability they have. Two, they're more trained in, in this emotionality. Uh, they can communicate better around that. We've, we've anointed them as the experts. So they can, they can point out that something's wrong. And, and they're often glad to tell us how to get there. But even if we do it the way they want us to do it, it doesn't work for us, them, or the relationship. So when these men start finding their, in their own groove on how to be emotional as a man, these women melt, you know, the attraction, the polarity that they might have had, or hopefully had in the beginning, comes back multiple times. And we had a guy in the group, a young man, last week, he's been in um, less than a year, he did one of our trainings, and he was, he was telling us this story of how him and his girlfriend, and, and, and they've been together a while, were out hiking and they were in this field and they just sat down and started talking and they ended up having the best sex that they ever had and it was and he said entirely because of the group and because of how he was showing up as a man and particularly emotionally and he just felt confident and in the beginning this guy did not feel confident and he was feeling confident he was feeling like yeah i'm a man and his woman his girlfriend just melted and, and they connected in a way that was beyond what he ever imagined possible. Oh, and I think this is absolutely fascinating. And there's a lot of elements here that I just had never really considered. I never really thought about the idea that men get up and they go to work and they leave their children at home with, uh, with their significant other, their wife, whatever. Women nurture these children. But if, if we were still living in a tribal, I mean, as you were talking at dawn me, if we were still living in a tribal society, then once that kid get, got off that nipple, um, there's maybe a few years later, but at some point early in his life, he would begin helping his dad, right? He'd help his dad, uh, even if it was just coming along for when he was old enough on a hunt. Right. Um, but what would happen is that, that development or nurturing to become a man would start a lot earlier. And, and, um, male mentorship is just so important for men in helping them figure out who they are and what it is that they're supposed to be doing as men. Yeah, and we don't have it in this culture. But the beautiful thing is we can get it by being with other men and, you know, in groups. Um, you know, and I've been trained as a therapist. I don't practice therapy and, you know, there's a place for it. And I've been trained, you know, by some of the best people out there. But we don't need therapists. Being a man is not a pathology. <laughs> and that's one of the problems I have with psychotherapy and, and, and this feminine sort of perspective on it. You know, 99% of what's not working for men is within this rubric. And it's just that they don't know what's not working. They certainly don't know how to get it uh, as a man. This is absolutely awesome. So the guy starts to develop um, his mass, uh, masculine emotional intelligence. Um, how... How can he use that to start cultivating better relationships with the opposite sex? I mean, use this guy, example of this guy who, who had the best sex of his life, but can you talk a little bit about um, how this affects relationships? If, if, so, you know, talking to generality, so if I'm this guy that's starting off and I'm in a, in a relationship, it could be a little, a little rough in the sense that, you know, I'm learning new behaviors uh, and, and I got to accept that I'm going to screw up. And one of the things that I'm learning is to speak up. Uh, and I'm first seeing it as if I was a young boy hanging out with a man in a group. And then I'm starting to practice it. And, you know, like a young boy would practice these skills or whatever skill he's learning. And then I, you know, I start getting proficient at it with, within that venue. And, and then I just start pretty much naturally bringing it home. And one of the things that I'm going to be doing is speaking what I feel. And that's a bit of an anachronism for a man to speak what he feels. And at first, it's like, you know, my mouth has Novocaine in it. I, you know, it's hard for me to move my lips and my tongue and I slur. And I certainly did that, you know, with all my Asperger's and everything. I just struggled with it. But I just kept on showing up and speaking. And I started learning. Now, what I did learn pretty quickly was that 
if a man is seriously and sincerely trying, even if it feels like for him he's failing more than he is succeeding, most women will become very patient for that, particularly if there's forward movement there. So he needs to speak. And he needs to speak what he's feeling, and then he needs to speak what he needs. And this is particularly unique for a man. Um, yeah, women need to be able to do this, but this is one of the distinctions being a man around emotional intelligence is he needs to articulate what he, what he needs. And one of these little caveats I have is your partner is not your therapist. Now, one of the things that men start to fall into is we are so conditioned to have the woman be our model, our teacher, vis-a-vis -vis our therapist, that we have our partners being the only person that we open up emotionally to and end up being a therapist to, uh, for us by default. And, and at first it might work and she might even like it, but she'll get burnt out, you'll get burnt out, and there will be resistance. So yes, you want to open up, and you know, occasionally process stuff, but you can't have your relationship be the sole source of that kind of way to work out. Uh, and again, preferably you got a, a team of men that you do that with. Um, and then you, we start stepping into this ability for, for me as a man to hold space for the woman, as we spoke about earlier, but also for the relationship. And Robert Bly, uh, who is a poet and who was one of the uh, first guys in the men's movement, I don't know, 30 years ago or more, uh, he wrote a short poem, poem called The Third Body. And he talks about this third body, which is the relationship. And it really is a, is a third body. You got her, yourself, and you got that relationship body. And, and it's actually in many ways, more the man's responsibility to, to champion and certainly protect that third body than it is the woman's responsibility. And so one of the things he needs to do is, is not only have a voice for himself, but a voice for the relationship. And so uh, in my last relationship with this you know, beautiful woman, uh, there were a couple of times when she'd get emotional. And I was there and I was you know, holding space, but she would cross a line. And it wasn't like a bad line, but she'd say something that was not true for me. And in that moment, I had to make a decision. And, you know, because my gut would go, Ugh! it's like, that's just not true. I can't let this pass. And then my head would go, but if you say something, Owen, you might lose her and you might lose the relationship. And so in this instant, which felt like a long time, you know, I got to make a decision. Am I going to speak my truth? And it's not so much being attached to the outcome, but just to speak it, put the relationship at risk, uh, or am I just going to let it go and just swallow it? And in every case, I decided to speak what was true for me and what was not appropriate. And she would stop in, you know, maybe 30 seconds, a minute, not say anything. And then her next words were, honey, I love you, or wow, you just melted me, or I'm getting wet, or something like that. Because what she felt was that my love for her, the relationship, and what we were creating, and the integrity of that was more important than, than me getting what I needed. And that made her hugely safe, and, and it allowed her to relax, and and whatever she was upset about just immediately melted. So that's a a skill that takes a while to develop, but when a man has that skill, you know, women will test us, but the right women will start to surrender to that, and the relationship not only gets a lot easier, but a lot more beautiful. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Uh, one of the questions I had for you was, how can men motivate themselves to take greater risks and achieve their dreams? But as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm sort of realize, realizing, I would love your, your thoughts on this, that most men know what they want. They're just scared to be honest and unapologetic about what they want. And I think that's kind of what they let other things inhibit them. Do you, I mean, do you have an opinion on this? Yeah, I have an opinion on all this. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's true. And that was certainly true for me. I mean, I was the most restricted out there. And 
and we might think we know what we want. And sometimes we're lucky and we can be pretty accurate, but I will bet with any guy, he's not on the mark if that's only what he thinks. Uh, he needs to feel it in his heart, his gut, and his balls. Uh, and getting there is, was what you inferred, is you got to start speaking it and, and screwing it up and going for it and taking action you know, like a man. And then you start discovering your purpose, which we know is critical for men, which is another unique emotional masculine quality. We got to discover our purpose. And that's an evolving thing. A purpose for a younger man is going to be different for a purpose for a man that's middle-aged or older. And once he starts getting a, you know, a connection with his purpose, he starts getting some real passion. And he's not jacking it up. It's just there. And women are going to be attracted to that passion. And David Data talks about this a lot about, and I agree with him, that it's like we have to love not only ourselves, we've got to love and be committed to our purpose. And, and maybe our purpose is to, is to discover our purpose. Uh, and so we got to be committed to that. And in some ways, that's our first love. And women's jobs are to, are, are to seduce us away from that. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking you know, more metaphorically and unconsciously, uh, but that tension is a good thing. And, and they want that from a man. And when a man doesn't have a purpose or is not going for his purpose, a good woman is going to get bored with him. And she's, you know, she's going to give him some time and in her own way encourage him or push him. But if he's not getting off his ass to do something, she's going to be leaving. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's a hard thing, but we need to just start speaking, start going for it. And gradually, particularly if you got other guys doing it with you, you're going to start to find your own groove and your relationships are going to really start to blossom. I, I love this. I, I had this guy who was in his mid-30s. I remember uh, he was really into some girl and, and the relationship had fallen apart and he was just trying to give and give and give. And I said, you know, I want you to take a step back. You've known this girl uh, for less than a month, right? Like you, you might be in love with her. Those emotions might be real, but um, the reality is you're... 35 years old, you have 35 years worth of life experiences, friends, um, uh, people that are important to you, other priorities. This girl should not be your first priority at like with everything else that's going on in your life. You need to go back and you need to focus on the things that are important because the guy was like wildly successful. You need to focus on the things that have, that you love, that make you successful and allow her to, to, um, I, the example I always use is is uh, is you want to focus on developing the mass of your life. Make like the sun, for example, like has a lot of mass. And what will happen is if you have a lot of mass, then you'll find that people come in orbit, uh, begin to orbit around you. And you want the woman to kind of fall back in orbit around you. But trying to uh, can, can make a bunch of adjustments to yourself in order to try to uh, to get her to like you is just going to make her less attracted to you. Right um, on, right on. And uh, yeah, no, these are just, I, I love the stuff that you're talking about here. Well, yeah, and I love your metaphor of, of you know, having that mass and that gravity that innately attracts people, all kinds of people in, in business. Uh, and, and as you said, you probably had that ability around business. And so what I would add to that is that, yeah, and this, this is sort of what's in the closet for a lot of men is this neediness. Um, and so... There's a part of neediness that gets to be a negative, I don't want to really use the word pathological, but limiting and, and codependent and all that. And we do need people, and that's a healthy thing. Um, we always has, have as human beings and will. And so what, what I ended up, because I get guys like that working with is, you know, what you, you know, get them moving, get them connected to who they are, but at the same time, feel that neediness, feel that that openness, and that and that what feels like a bottomless pit that this woman or this possible relationship has created, because that's always going to be there, and and so yeah, you, you don't want to deny it, but you don't want to fall down into this bottomless pit, 
And so feel feel that neediness and and start to allow it to be okay or accept it in other ways. Don't believe that a woman or that woman in particular is going to be your salvation because it will be a trap for her in the relationship. Um, and so a lot of it, yeah, with these guys is around this masculine emotional intelligence is is to accept the feelings and the needs, but not get trip, tripped up by them. Mm. Oh, and there's so much great stuff here. I keep saying that, but it's absolutely true. A lot of these feelings are tied to low self-esteem, feelings of inadequacy, um, limiting beliefs. All men have limiting beliefs, but I'm curious. You have so much experience in this. What are some of the most common limiting beliefs that men have and what can they do to get past them? Yeah, I, I, I see so many of them. Everything from, you know, I'm not good enough to, you know, one in my family has done this, or in other words, I don't have any models, um, uh, to, you know, I, you know, literally I'm bad, it's something bad or wrong with me. Uh, but in a more global sense, yeah, again, it's, it's you know, having the awareness, great, you, you know that you have this belief, or you know that something's there. Maybe you, you can't articulate even yet what the belief is, but you know there's something there. Well, behind every belief, there's emotions. And, and these emotions are often held in. They're like festering in us. And so we create a belief or belief system to survive. So in, innately, these beliefs started when we were kids. And as most of us, you know, as kids, we didn't have a full voice. And one of the voices we didn't have was a voice to say no. Um, so we couldn't assert ourselves. We couldn't... Uh, create boundaries that were always honored. So we adjusted our reality because we need to survive. You know, we need to, to eat, to be protected, and we need to be loved, which gets back into the other need we were talking about. <laughs> and so we, we create these beliefs to, to rearrange reality as a kid. And it worked, you know? That was our survival strategy. It worked. But now as an adult, we have power, at least in theory, uh, but what worked for us starts to become the cage for us. And we're trapped by these beliefs. I mean, so we, we still have a life and it sort of works, but these limiting beliefs are preventing us from having this bigger life that we want. So as we move forward, we run into a bar of that cage, you know, a belief, and we, we acknowledge it. We, we sort of go in, practice that mindfulness, the body awareness, feel it, uh, feel what's behind it and start expressing. And pretty soon there's movement and, and often quickly that belief just dissolves away or at least its hold on you dissolves away. Um, there's a place for you know working beliefs mentally uh, and, and I'm for that and of course I've done that. But I, if only to be a bit of a contrary, you know, I'm a huge advocate for also working the emotional aspect of these beliefs because once they're released, you'll never have to even think about that belief again because it won't be there. That's great. You talked a little bit about the idea of saying no, and I, I kind of want to emphasize this. It's such an important skill set as a man to say no. And oftentimes, um, I think for younger guys, they think that, and even in a lot of cases, even older guys, they think that women have all the power. And when you look at our society, you find one that that's not really one that's not even true, and two, um, you can argue it's not even. Not only is it skewed in a way that men have more power. In some ways, you can argue it might not even be fair. Um, I, I'll, I'll give. I mean, I'll give the feminists like some in certain cir circumstance that kind of leeway. But the reality is that as a man, you have an incredible amount of power, and it's important that. Um, in, in a healthy way that you use it. And it's so important to have the ability to say no, um, to tell people no, to have, to kind of have options. It's a very masculine thing to do. And, and there's that point you made about just kind of gr growing up and, and constantly having to kind of conform to, um, to the, the, the environment. That's really a feminine, that's really a feminine, um, like characteristic in a relationship as we get older. Um, that's something that women uh, tend to do a lot more than men and feel more comfortable in that role. Meaning like following, like as the, as the, the, the person in the relationship who is following 
the leader who who and the leader is protecting them, making them feel safe, both physically and emotionally. But this isn't something that you really can fake. Something on one of the articles on on your blog, you talk about um, this idea of kind of um, a fake it till you make it, and you su- suggest that it's a bad idea. Can you talk a little bit about why faking it till you making it um, isn't something that men should should do? Yeah, as I inferred in the beginning, it, it might be a good way to initiate some new behavior, but to go through the whole behavior and fake it and not be present with what's happening in the environment, certainly for yourself, backfires. Because maybe you get that behavior to produce a result that you want. But inevitably, if you do get the result, and I think that's ultimately less likely than not, but if you get it, it's almost always not what you really want. And if and if it, it's even close, you've just taken yourself out of the whole experience of getting there, which could have been healing, very, very exciting, uh, emotional, satisfying, a lot of things. Uh, and if you're at the other end of this behavior and you, you're there, you didn't learn anything. All you learned is to be better at faking some, which is... But, you know, do we really want to fake life and do we want to fake a relationship? And, and if we do, and I've seen this with men, when they fake a relationship, they get a fake woman. And at some point, the gift wrapping wears off for both people. Because what happens is you, it's like we gift wrap this package of who we are and we present it to the other person. Well, the gift wrapping always wears off. And inevitably, both people are very disappointed and they feel like they were sold a bad bill of goods, like, I didn't know you were this way. Well, I didn't know you were that way because they were both faking it. Where if you put it at risk in, in the beginning, yeah, you, you, you're not going to make every sale. You know, every you know, interaction, every date, every relationship is not going to work out. But at the end of the day, at the end of the relationship, you have evolved, you've gotten something, uh, and you're that much more of a man than you were before this event. It made me think a little bit back. You mentioned it, it um, the, like the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell. And you read books like The Odyssey, where Odysseus goes out and he comes back and he has all the, uh, he, or he goes out in the world to, to fight a war. And then he wants to come home to his, his wife, his children, but he has to overcome all these different obstacles and um, challenges. And then in the end, he comes back kind of as a better, a better man. I thought of another example, which probably some of the listeners uh, might be into is uh, Neil Strauss's book, The Game. Um, it's about, uh, it was written around 2005. But that book, uh, it's the same type of idea. Here's this guy who goes out, and in this case, he wants to get better with women. And um, he goes out and he has a bunch of issues, anxieties, uh, challenges, and he systematically kind of overcomes them. And you know, a lot of the dating advice I feel like in that book is is... I feel like it's outdated, but the the story is still the same, and and I think so many guys out there, and I know I definitely was one when I was younger. I was scared to make mistakes, right? I didn't want to screw up. I would worry about what are people going to think, how am I going to feel about myself, and I didn't give myself to spa- the space to really, honestly, to fuck up. And um, but it's this idea of this kind of hero's journey, journey is so important because. It gives us all the space, and you just kind of touched on it. It gives us all the space to kind of make mistakes, try things. Not everything is going to work out the way that we want it to work out, but in the end, we're going to hopefully become a better man as a consequence of that. Um, I, I know you also talk about kind of how, like, what are the essentials of being a ha- have, having a happy, meaningful, and fulfilled life? I mean, I feel like this kind of leads right into it. Can you can you talk about what your thoughts are on this? Pretty much everything we've been talking about. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It, one way to frame that is my relationships aren't going to be any more fulfilling than my life is. And you know, I've had failures in my life. I mean, I started out failing. I mean, my childhood was one failure after another in many ways. But with my Asperger's dyslexia, speech impediments, and everything else I had, um, I, and this is one of the upsides of it, I was forced to learn to not fake it because I couldn't do it. I couldn't fake anything. And, and, and I realized at an early age, the only way I was going to heal and learn and succeed was finding my own way of doing it. And a lot of it was making mistakes. And as Bucky Fuller used to say, you're not learning 
unless you're making mistakes. And, and with these groups, what we see is guys, as you said, in the beginning are often frozen. You know, we're in that, you know, that stage of that, you know, that PTSD thing of, of being frozen, not being in fight or flight, but frozen, where they're afraid more than they realize to speak up, to make a mistake, uh, to screw up, to, you know, to get honest, to say no, uh, because they might lose this life that they created. Well, my experience with myself and others is that if you're holding on to that life in that delicate way of you're trying to fake it, you're trying to do it right, you're going to lose it anyway. You're wasting a lot of energy, and you're really not that happy. And anyone that's successful in any endeavor in life um, is really sort of in a flow uh, doing it, be it a sport, business, uh, interacting with people. You know, they're in the moment. They're, you know, they're accepting what's happening. These are the three conditions for me uh, for flow. One is acceptance. One is expressing, expressing and experiencing, but really moving that energy, particularly the emotions. And the third, uh, which is, again, critical for men, is taking action. So they're doing that. And I, and I think that's the, um, the undercurrent for having a, a successful life is, is finding what your flow is or your areas of flow and going for finding your unique way of, of being your own man and your own flow. And even that's going to change. At some point, your purpose or your passion or how you're in flow is going to shift. And what I had to learn was that's not a bad thing. And it's not that... I screwed up. It's like I got to my destination. Now what? And to get back to what we we're saying before, that's a bit of a rites of passage for a guy. Um, I know with younger men, a lot of what we do in the beginning of our life is we go out and have adventures. And we hit around 30, and it's time to change. We might say grow up, but I'd say just that part of our life is done, and it's time to, to learn the next thing, but if you are out there in your flow, just living life, you learn a lot more than you ever would consciously know in the moment. You, years later, you could see what you learned, but in those moments, you're really not going to know what you've learned. But you integrate that for the next thing, and that becomes your foundation for everything you're doing the rest of your life, including relating to women. And yeah, as you talked about before, I mean, women pick this up and they want that kind of man that's willing to just show up in his flow. Oh, and have you ever seen the commencement speech that Steve Jobs gave at Stanford? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I feel like you're talking about just exactly this idea where Jobs says um, when he when he was um, like kind of going through life, because like uh, I mean, he can certain ways he can be a controversial figure, but he has had an incredible life and he made some mistakes. He did amazing 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 things and and as he used to say he had a, a dent he made a dent on in the universe in a massive way and um he in a speech he talks about just how he did th certain things that certain other people would find unconventional like take uh, a calligraphy class while he was at, at reed college and because he just liked calligraphy but later on it's the reason that um Max had such really cool fonts. I mean, as I'm talking to you this, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you over a Mac and I'm looking at these fonts and their consequence of this, this class he took. And he said, you know, you go through all these life experiences and while you're going through them, uh, you don't always know what, um, know why you're doing them or what you're doing them. But in the end, you're pursuing the things that you, that you're, you're passionate about, that you love, that you want. And later on, you can go back and connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so much of that in what you're saying. Well, and, and the... <laughs> Jobs was dyslexic, if not a little Asperger's. So, yeah, one of the, the curses, but really the gifts of, you know, my uh, special abilities was, was to learn that, you know, every dyslexic I've ever known, I've known quite a few, we got some in our groups, I've had many as clients and, and guys with Asperger's, is that we're out of the box. And, and that's a struggle when we're young because fitting in is so important. But... Jobs realized and accepted that he was out of the box. And then, yeah, later on, he started innately connecting these dots that, you know, created these amazing products in an amazing company. And he certainly, as you inferred, had no idea he was going to do that. But 
it was a function of a couple of things. One, of having these experiences, but also being willing to not do it the standard way. You know, to, to what I talk about in our groups, learning emotional improv. It's like learning improv for your whole life, just being able to respond in the moment. And as you start to do that, what starts to congeal is this purpose and passion of who you are. And then, boom, at some point, everything starts coming together. And when it comes together that way, it is so much more satisfying, so much more of a contribution for the planet, and really a lot less stressful. Oh, and this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, I'm running out of time. I need to wrap this up. Hopefully, I can get you on here uh, on here again because I think your ideas are absolutely incredible. I would love to sit in one of your workshops. Everyone listening should read his book, uh, Grow Up a Man's Guide to Masculine Emotional Intelligence. And if you're listening, you want to learn more about Owen, his blog, uh, his products, his workshops, his book. Uh, we're going to post some links on the Craft Charisma website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find it more easily. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. It's dating coach Chris Lona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I gotta do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and kind of communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.